0: Welcome to the
1: Flying Solo podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. If you're working solo or have dreams of starting up, you'll find support, inspiration and advice at Australia's largest and liveliest small business community. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. Here's your host, Robert Gerrish.
0: Yes, Robert Gerrish here, founder of Flying Solo, co-author of the bestseller of the same name and author of The One Minute Commute, my latest book, published by Pan Macmillan and available in all good bookshops, online, and as an audiobook, courtesy of audible.com. Yikes, six hours of me droning on. Anyway, that's enough about The One Minute Commute. Before I tell you about this show, a quick plug for Flying Solo's premium membership that has a mass of tools and benefits to help your business stand out, and to ensure you stay at the top of your game. As part of membership, you get a full-page listing in the directory, entry to a private discussion group, access to a library of over 80 how-to videos, a copy of the Flying Solar book, and much more, all for just $99. Head to the Join page to find out more. Now, this episode is a recording of a keynote presentation from the recent Flying Solo live event in Melbourne. And we hear from Catherine Savasio. Her keynote presentation is entitled My Solo Story. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Catherine. She is a pioneer in the natural skincare industry and in 1994 started Aroma Baby, the first natural and organic brand ...for mother and baby. Today her products are sought after by mothers and health professionals the world over. Catherine has proven experience in product development, international trade, marketing and branding. She's an accomplished writer, speaker and TV presenter... ...regularly popping up in the media across a range of sectors from business to beauty, travel and style. Catherine's Australian baby products were the first to be approved for retail sale in China where she has multiple awards for her brands. She was recently selected to participate in the first Australian all-women's trade delegation to China as part of the Victorian government's Women in International Business Initiative. Gosh, Okay, so the recording will start as Catherine is greeted on the stage.
1: Good morning, thank you. What a lovely welcome. Hands up here who is already in business. Wow, that's fantastic. Hands up anybody who's thinking of starting a business. It's a few of you. So I hope that by sharing my story today, it does inspire you, both for the ones who are thinking about a business and for those of you who are already in business, and uh, can relate to some of the stories that I've got to share. So, I like to use a lot of pictures. I'm very visual, uh, and and I want to really share part of my personal journey with you that has been with me over the last 24 years. So, basically, this is me, and this is where it started. You can see I was at school at one stage, but I actually left really early. I left too young, I think, at 15 years old. But the other photo up there, you can see that I've always had a passion and a love for babies. At that stage, it was dolls, and it's obviously graduated into the industry that I'm in now. So my background was in fashion and developing product, um, and when I was pregnant with my first baby, my focus changed from uh, fashionable products and body care to what was I going to use on my little boy. And to my disappointment, there was actually no natural skin care available at that time whatsoever. Uh, not just that. The more I researched, the more I found that, in fact, a lot of ingredients were linked to skin irritation and potential health problems for babies, and I wanted to make a difference and I wanted to do something to change that. Now, 24 years ago, we didn't have a lot of internet. We didn't have a lot of choice in product, and all the baby care products that i found were the same sort of formulations, so I thought, okay, the research says that some of these things are potentially linked to irritation and other health concerns as well, so why don't we leave them out, and that meant innovating and starting from scratch, something that hadn't been done before. Along with that, not a lot of retail experience because I was a product development person, I had to come up with a marketing plan on how I was going to get this story across to the buyers. So I put together something that was um, a pitch to Maya, and actually Maya took it on probably close to 20 years ago. So at that point, it was very, very innovative. So, one of the things that I had to really focus on was what are the unique selling points of the business that I've got? What's so different about these products? What's going to stand out? And what is going to get me over the line and get these products into stores so that I can share this with other parents? And I had a few things that uh, we didn't have, sulfate, parabens, petrochemicals, and many other ingredients but we also needed it to have like a really strong set of values. And I guess because it was built from my own personal experience and it came from my heart, that was a story that I I began to share with everyone. We had a hero product and we still have this hero product today. So it was about highlighting something that was going to be the standout product in the brand that we had and something that was really, really different in the market at the time. And it's still really, really unique. So this product here, we call it Barrier Balm, um, it's a, I guess it's a natural type of healing product and it was developed for nappy rash, but it ended up being used for a range of different things and it's gone on to become like, you know, having its own sort of cult following. I learned that I had to focus and as a creative kind of person, it's not easy to focus because you've got ideas coming up all the time, but for me, Focus was like key, and trying to build the business from the ground up and share the knowledge and share the information um, and, and let people know this is what I've got, this is why I've developed it, and these are some of the things that, that are important about my brand. It wasn't my plan to become an expert in this field, but I think by default because there was no other natural baby care at the time, I actually had to learn to share information, and I had to learn to be um, out in the media and and talk about the benefits of what I was doing and the differentiation between this and what else was in the market. So I think there's a a really strong um, argument for becoming a specialist in a particular field and really knowing your stuff. So even though I left school so young, I actually went back to school to study a diploma in aromatherapy over a three-year period, and then I went back to school to study as an infant massage instructor. And I found that these couple of things were really, really instrumental in getting credibility in the health professional sector. So we provide our product to hospitals and um, maternity centres, both here and overseas, so those are the sorts of things that professionals want to see, that where actually there are some qualifications somewhere that get you in the door, and then you've got your passion and your story and your, and your other expertise that you develop over the years. So in Australia, things were going great, you know, we were in department stores, we were in pharmacies. Uh, There's a list of some of the stores that we're in now. But because we were so niche and so premium, we couldn't just be in pharmacy or just in department store because there's simply not enough market here. So we started to develop some other channels, and I think that's another really good thing too. It's all right to have a niche business, um, in particular these days, because you've got a global playing field. But back then, it was really just regional, statewide, and then it became national for us. But if you can develop... um, some other channels where there could be some collaborations or there could be some other ways to sell your product, you actually get the distribution and the the scale that you need to sustain your business longer term. So, for us, we got into hospitals as as being sold into hospitals. We got into private uh, hotels. Um, We got into duty-free stores, department stores, um, baby stores. Um, we, We found a lot of different kind of connections, I guess, to To offer them something that would make a difference to what they were doing so it wasn't just about us getting a sale and selling a product it was about how can we add value to these different channels and that's the way that i shared what i had created so you can see um, many many years ago we quickly um, grew our business and we went to a seven figure sum within a few short years and we were quite uh, strong in the baby bath category in pharmacy, as you can see there by that report. But as with all innovation, there's imitation. So within, say, seven or eight years, there was a couple of very strong competitors in the market. Uh, some of those failed, and then you know one or two hung around. But not only does that create... Um, you know, some loss of market share because the the pie is only so big in Australia and you've got a small slice of that pie and then your multinational bigger companies have got the rest. But then the small slice of the pie gets even smaller because it's shared between all these other brands that are popping up. So you need to constantly reinvent and and create uh, a reason for people to be buying what you've got over perhaps something that's different or, you know, that's being marketed as the same as yours. And There's lots of things that happen when you're growing. Can you fund growth? Do you have space to keep stock? We've got physical stock. Do you need staff? Um, And also market share. Do you need to look outside of Australia? And if you do, what other challenges come with that? So it was within a few short years that we did begin our export journey. And the first um, region that we worked in was in the Middle East. And it wasn't as if that we had a you know a, a particular plan um, and a strategy. It was basically just a small business with one or two staff, and we were approached by a couple from Dubai. Now, those people set up a really wonderful business and went on with that business for a number of years. But there, there were two ladies, and they were mums themselves looking for beautiful baby product to distribute and turn into a business. But then their husbands got relocated, and they moved out of Dubai, and we lost... the the distributors that we had. So I guess this is the sort of thing that can happen. Distributors and agents can come and go, and that can really affect your business. So you've got to really have uh, lots of different channels and lots of different ways to sustain what you're doing. The next market for us was Korea. And similarly, we were approached by a couple of uh, gentlemen that came out, and I remember spending the whole day with them thinking, okay, this is different to dealing with two women in business who are also mums, because I can relate to them. And We had a lot of things to talk about, but two men from Korea, these were numbers guys, and these were um, men that were looking for an opportunity to develop a business in Korea in a sector that wasn't um, currently available in the market. So at the end of the day, they said, right, we're not going to leave without signing a contract with you because we want the exclusive rights to this brand. And I thought, well, I've got one staff member, but neither of us know anything about writing a contract. Um, but I pretended that I did. And I, I went into my office, and I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? So I've heard of an MOU. It's a memorandum of understanding. And no one really talked about those at the time, but they asked for an MOU. So I quickly typed up something and left a space to sign. I had a company stamp and you know some of these regions really love stamps. Stamps are really good if you stamp things that look official and professional. So I stamped the document and I went out and signed it and my uh, one employee witnessed the document and and uh, off they went. So that was a multi-million dollar contract. It was the largest contract that we'd had at the time um, for a three-year distribution deal with Korea. And I remember when they left, getting my staff member by the hands and we were jumping up and down in the office going, oh my God, how are we going to do this? How am I going to actually create the product to sell to them? But you know what? You've just got to say yes and you've got to work it out. So you can't um, say no to an opportunity because you're not sure how to do it. You've got to say yes. You've got to put your hand up and say, yes, I will do it. Me, choose me, choose my brand. I I can do it. And of course you know, you need to have some expertise, and you need to have, you know, some kind of experience, but you can really work it out as you go, and I'm living proof of that. So, next up, uh, Hong Kong, and similar to Dubai, we were approached by a lady who was a a mum-to-be. She placed an order online with us, and I happened to be going to Hong Kong. Actually, I was sourcing some cosmetic bags at the time. I wasn't exporting, and I offered to take the product to her, we met for lunch, and over Yum cha, we decided that she would be my distributor in the region. So, don't overlook uh, people that aren't really widely experienced or really big organisations in helping you to expand your business. Because this wonderful woman actually um, became my distributor, and I think she was there for about 10 years. And she grew some really, really important contacts with companies like um, Mothercare and uh, another very iconic baby store, which has recently closed down. But I still maintain those relationships 15 years later. And uh, so, you know, I guess you've got to think outside the square, and you've, you've got to think, um, how how could this work? And be open to different ways of doing things. Then uh, came USA. Now, USA was a little bit tricky for us. We did lots of um, promotional activity, and we did celebrity events and things like that. But... We didn't really have a distributor there, and I found that we're spending money in this market, but we're actually not getting any sales out of it. So, how can I utilise this investment and make it work for the business? So, you can see on one of those slides is a trade show. So, the trade show, I did some interviews, and then we used those interviews through our marketing back in Australia and in some other countries. So, I guess you've got to really leverage off whatever material you have. The other, um, the other photo down there, I don't know if you can tell who that is, but it's Simon Baker, and um, I was a big fan at the time, and, uh, and, and I got in trouble for taking that photo as well, well by my partner, not by him. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's interesting that you think, but he's married, he's kids, and his wife's here, and it's, it's okay. No, 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 but you, no, you're... No, okay, I've taken a photo. No, just take another one in case the first one doesn't... Work. I've taken a photo. Move on. All right, so I did get two photos, and that's my favourite one. Um, but the other, the other little note there is an interesting story as well, because it's a letter from um, John Travolta and Callie Preston. So, and this is the, the weird thing about how some things work, that a friend had asked for a baby gift for John Travolta, who was in Sydney for Qantas's 90th birthday, I think, some years ago, and chose a Roma baby as a very premium, uh, beautiful Australian brand. And I think they were just about to have a baby, so that was the purpose of the gift. Now, John uh, obviously has access to every kind of product and brand around the world, but he took that gift home to his wife, Kelly Preston, and she wrote this lovely thank you note. Now, at that same event where Simon Baker was there, John Travolta and Kelly Preston were there. So I actually went over and I said, hi, thank you so much for that beautiful note. And, and Kelly said, John, this is the lady, you know, the baby products. So it's amazing that, you know, that whole experience came full circle. And we were then able to use the, that whole story in the media to share. Um, you might not have a distributor in the region. You might have gone there and invested in a trade show or in, a, in an event that didn't generate sales. But you've got to work out how can you make it um Financially viable? How can you leverage off it? And how can you get value out of that investment that you've made? So, you've got to really think outside the box, and that's what I've tried to do the whole 20 odd years. Then, we launched in Singapore. Um, Singapore is probably one of those um, little bit of a hub like Hong Kong, so it can lead to other distribution um, points in other regions. And even in Singapore, we had an event and we got some media over there. So, again, we used the media that we got to leverage off and expand in other markets. Then we had some massive challenges, and challenges come in lots of different forms, but these two were mine. So one, I became a new mum again with a six-year gap in between, and then the other thing there represents, you know, marriage, partnerships, whatever you like to call them. So, we know that 50% of marriages end, unfortunately, and they can be expensive to get into and they can be expensive to get out of as well. So, there's two expensive things there, a designer brand and and a wedding band. But you know what, I think um, that gave me time to stop and reflect and... I had a a question on LinkedIn about scaling. So it's not about scaling up all the time. Sometimes it could be about scaling down, and that's what happened at this point in my business. So I needed to focus on my children. My ex-husband moved overseas, and I had two little boys, and they they became the focus. So the business ticked along in the background. Um, The the actual settlement of that um, marriage ending was a three-year... let's say, saga, through through court. So I had to focus on family and getting through that experience. So that experience cost a lot of money as well. So it impacted my business financially. The business I had to buy back from my ex-husband, and I had to buy the home and buy the warehouse we were operating from. So if you think about... Um, you know the challenges, they're not just business challenges, they can be life challenges as well that change the trajectory of your of your growth. And for me, this is what I decided to do, focus on the family, scale the business back, and then I was practically starting again, I would say eight, nine, ten years later. But what I did do was maintain the brand ticking along in the background. so really building that solid ethical, A high-value proposition brand, and it's the brand that uh, kept the business alive, you could say, for that length of time, whilst we were just bubbling along in the background. Some of the other challenges you can have, especially in scaling, running out of stock, it's all right to get an order, it's all right to get a contract, but how are you going to deliver the goods? And if you run out of stock, there's not always loyalty, so they might go to another brand, or it could be a a catalogue item. In, In our sector, it is Um, retail, it's consumer goods, so you're often in store catalogs, you know, pharmacy and department stores, so if you can't deliver, not only do you lose contracts, you lose sales, but you're often penalised as well, so there's a lot of things that can go wrong in making sure that you need to have, you know, these sorts of things covered when you're looking at scale. This is another thing that I find is... um, I deal in Asia. I, I do a lot of export to to Asia, and particularly in China. And I often get asked, "Oh, but don't your products get copied there?" No, they don't. But they get copied here. So you know, these are the sorts of things that can happen that can really impact your business. It can dilute your sort of branding and your messaging. Um, it can take your focus off your your core stuff. So these are the sorts of things that have happened to us where it costs money to to have, you know, legal letters written and it takes time and it's negative energy. So sometimes you've got to just cut your losses, you take the action you need to, and then you move on. I talked about China, and, yeah, look, China's been a big focus for a lot of brands over the last couple of years, but we actually started our um, our China journey 10 years ago before China was really um, on trend, I I guess, in Australia, and before e-commerce and um, before Alibaba was here, before JD.com and and lots of other things that have popped up in the last couple of years. So for us, you you think, why export? Well, as the market grows and organic and natural sector is... um, it's, it's more accepted, and it's more widely available, but then you, you run out of market here. There's, there's not enough people you know, to sell to. So the next, natural next step is to export. So even if I hadn't have done all those smaller export markets beforehand, This sort of thing, um, you know, I guess, again, we were approached by a company 10 years ago to export to China, but this kind of thing takes some serious strategising. So if you look at the numbers there, between the number of births in Australia per annum and the number of births in China, um, that's a huge amount of population. And obviously, with a premium product, we're not going to be for every parent or every mum, but we're going to be for a lot of mothers who, who have a a desire to use the best product for their baby. So a a few years ago, a little little while ago, we actually um, had a a change in policy in China so they they were allowed to have a second child. And that also has impacted the amount of brands in Australia that actually want to get into this baby category, whether it's infant formula or baby skincare, because there's such a huge opportunity in China. But China's a tough market and and China's... uh, a market with lots of barriers, so you really need to be careful about how you're going to enter the China market, and is there another market that's a smaller market that you could try before you export there? One of the biggest things about exporting or um, expanding your business in any market is protecting your intellectual property. So I guess you know nowhere more so than in China should you be protecting your brand, uh, before you even think about going there and, and perhaps even at a startup stage because there's such an interest from other markets, you need to make sure that you have your IP protected in those markets so that when you're ready, if you're ready, if you decide, or even if you want to exit, um, all those things are protected and that adds to your brand value. So you'll find that a lot of um, brand names are already taken, smaller brands that have um, potential perhaps, They're already taken, and your own brand names could be taken. So, um, your IP needs to be protected well in advance of exporting, in my opinion. And that means for some of the Asian markets and and some of the other foreign countries, protection in the foreign language. And even in China, it sounds like your name. So, our name in China is Ai Le Mei, it's not Aroma Baby, but we have both. Names protected. So, you know, you can only do do as much as you can to cover your IP, but I think if you do it, then you're much um, more likely to be able to sustain your business longer term. The other thing is, you know, test the market. You need to actually get on the ground and actually experience. If the cultures are quite different, so for me, um, the Asian cultures are quite different, but they're different between each other, and they're also different from province to province in China. So it's about um, getting on the ground and I think really immersing yourself in the culture of the region where you want to export to and trying to understand how the consumer um, purchases, what are their spending habits, what kind of retail stores do they have, is retail big or is is it not big for your product sector? What I did also was to replicate what I was doing elsewhere. So in Australia, I spend a lot of time educating, um, sharing knowledge, sharing information, running workshops, and really trying to empower not just the mums and and the dads um, that are potential consumers of our product, but also the health professionals that are involved in the the care of, of the consumers that we're working with. So every market that I'm in, I try and replicate what's working here. So if we're working in hospitals here, then we want to work in hospitals and we want to work with teams um, that are in a similar sort of sector in the countries that we're exporting to. So everything is consistent and you'll need to change and you'll need to be flexible, but I think your core stuff needs to be flexible and that's what I've really tried to keep. Having that strong backstory and making sure that, you know, in, in all of the different things that are out there in the markets, especially as you go global, that you're your story stands out and your story is authentic and your story is real and people can relate to it. So, If you've got something that's really unique or if you've got a a really unique angle to uh, what your story is, that could be enough, but it has to be yours and it has to be unique and I think um, that's the sort of thing that will keep you going. Having an export strategy. For me, as I said it didn 't really happen that way. Um, we had a lot of reactive sort of export experiences, but now we have uh, a time to grow and, and strategize about what market we 're in where we 're going, what are we going to do in those markets what 's needed to survive and it 's almost like a market like China is so big and so unique that it almost needs its own sort of focus so with a small business like ours, we can't really focus on export to India, export to South Korea and export to China. We need to choose one strong market and try and do it really well. And Even though I've been in that market for 10 years, it's changing so fast and it has changed so much that you feel like you're just creating um, a new strategy like every few months. Things that you don't expect happen in, in other countries. You can miss flights. Flights don't take off. Um, in China, you could run up to a, kilo, a kilometer to get to your um, boarding gate from the lounge, and still not catch your flight. So your whole day could be wasted. I've been in one city for one meeting and missed a flight, or the flights didn't take off due to bad weather, and it meant that you know that whole day was wasted. But you know, I guess you've got to look at everything as a positive, and. Um, I actually ended up getting a, a contact from maternity care centre simply because I was hanging around the tel- hotel because I didn't go on that flight. So I guess there's, there's advantages in everything, but um, in a market like China, there's things that happen that you wouldn't even imagine possible. Using Australia to grow, you might recognise this space here. So this was a China, um, a, a China conference. So think about what connections you've got here, what work you're doing here, what collaborations you've got here that you can leverage off to get exposure in other countries. So, you know, these kinds of events are, are marketed. People from other countries might see them. Um, you might need to keep a snapshot of something that you've been involved in, and then you can use that later on as, um, you know, marketing for yourself. Having a team in China, you, you might not have a team, you might have a distributor, but means that I need to physically go there. I need to support them. So, in a way, I feel like I'm starting um, my business all over again. But this kind of thing is really important if you actually want to sustain your business in a particular market, and especially one like China. Building brand awareness. I'm a big believer of collaborating, and that means not only here, but collaborating in the other countries and the other markets that you're in as well. And I try and approach collaboration in in a how can you add value sense. So it's not actually what can you get out of doing this deal or what can you get out of joining with this company? Um, we've got some great collaborators in the room here. So, it, But how can you add value to the other person or the other company? How can you add value to something else? Because if you don't bring some value to the table, then... It's not really worth doing it. You've got to do it. A collaboration is about you both getting something out of it. So I guess if you want to approach someone about a collaboration, what are you bringing to the table? And, and that's the way that I like to operate, and it's um, resulted in some really, really wonderful, um, un, unexpected collaborations throughout the years. Building trust in your brand and your product and your service. Um, for me, we're in, a, we're in a product category that is, you know, it's like newborn babies are using your product. So, to have that trust and that credibility, you don't get that overnight. It's only built over having an unblemished record over a long period of time of safety, of efficacy, um, of having core values, of staying true to what your beliefs are about that category. So, it's really important, particularly in in markets like this, that you actually do build that level of trust. We've got uh, a global opportunity here now that I didn't have when I started, and I didn't really even have 10 years ago. But now you've got to think, where do I want to take my business? Do I want to take it global? Because if you do, and you can, it's not that difficult. You've got a global platform. You can take your products globally, easily. There are brands here that exist that don't even sell in Australia. They're purely successful overseas. So you've got to think about what your strategy is where your products are going to be different and how you're going to get them there. Sometimes it might not be worth even focusing on our domestic market. It might be worth just focusing your efforts offshore and, and really focusing on your, um, your online strategy. These are some of, the, um, some of the places that we sell in China. So um, these are online and offline. So Watson's is a... new. Uh, a large pharmacy chain based in Hong Kong, and we were able to do a pilot program with them nearly two years ago. So it's a huge company, and through a series of events, we ended up having uh, an opportunity to get into the stores in two cities. But I knew for a company that large and a small business owner like me, it it would be challenging to sustain that long-term. So I wanted to make sure that I could leverage off this this experience and utilise that to promote our brand to the rest of China. So what happened was they extended their baby department and they added in you know, another 10 or 12 brands from all over the world. We were the only brand from Australia. But within 12 months, that pilot didn't work for that company. So those brands were discontinued because their study didn't work. They couldn't expand the baby de- department in the way that they wanted to. So, along with that, of course, our brand was out, but it was an amazing experience. It helped us to understand how big retail in China works, and we were able to leverage off the branding and the experience. So, I guess, again, think outside the square, and even if something doesn't last long-term, what can you get out of it that you can keep um, reformatting and reusing and, and leveraging off as you go on in your own business journeys? Evolution. I mean... It's, it's something that we, we think it's natural that your brand is going to evolve, you're going to evolve as a business owner, um, consumer spending habits are going to evolve, but we don't always take into consideration that how important it is to, evolve, to actually involve your, your brand or your, or your business. So you know, it could be that you know, it's technology, it could be that it's um, your staff, that your team that you had 10 years ago isn't going to be the team that you have in 10 years' time. It could be that you need um, premises or you don't. You might be, we've got premises, we probably don't need them anymore. We can outsource a lot of what we do. So evolution is, is really um, vital to being, being able to sustain your business long-term as well. And as I said before about leveraging, there are so many um, government initiatives. There are so many awards. There are, there are grants. If you enter an award, talk about it tell your network, tell your clients, tell the people that matter. And you can see uh, one of those those posts there, that's actually on LinkedIn, and there's more than 12,000 people had seen uh, that post at the time, and it it continued to go on. But you've got to be um, engaging your audience and engaging your, your business people that are in your network and helping to share the story through whatever means you can. So these are the sorts of things that I do to really keep the momentum going, and there's no use doing all the work and, and getting an award if you're not going to share it. You've got to share it. If you want to build your business around these things that you're achieving, talk about it, and it's, it's, you can still be humble and share your story. It's, there's a difference between, you know, humility and a genuine authenticity about the achievements that you're, you're getting. It's, it's okay to share those, and I think um, it's really crucial in helping to market yourself and your businesses. I'm also a big believer in sharing knowledge. So this was in China last year, and it was 700 midwives. So I remember saying, "Yes, I will. I will do this," and thinking, "How on earth am I going to manage this?" How am I going to stand up there? What format will I use? Will they have a translator? It, it wasn't fantastically organised, but you know what? I got on three planes, and I went there, and I worked it out, and I've been invited back. So, if you've got knowledge to share, if you've got an experience to share, share it. Say yes, you'll work it out, it's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's a nervous excitement coming up here and sharing your, your story. Part of it's personal, because business is personal, especially when you're on your own or when you're in a small business and you only have a small team. But you, you can actually do it. You can succeed, but you've got to give it a go. And, and also mixing it up. These midwives, they get trained. All they care about is getting certificates because that helps them to stand out in their profession. But at the end of one of these workshops, I got them all to make a body scrub. And can you see how happy they are? This was, this was the first time they smiled all day. So mix it up. You don't have to be conventional. You don't have to be traditional. You don't have to do it the way it's always been done. But think outside the square and um, find an edge to what you're doing. I love sharing information. I'm very passionate about the sector that I'm in. So um, I've started my business by, you know, a teenage girl mixing up body scrubs in the kitchen. It's something that I've done my whole life. So why not integrate that into uh, professional certificate workshop that I'm doing with midwives. Why not? Why not talk to them about self-care and the importance of looking after themselves? These are some of the things that I've done, so I'm just flicking through. There's a couple of um, media things there, and there's a great collaboration there. Kimberly Clark, massive company, but we we ended up doing collaborations with Huggies for a number of years, so don't um, discount an organisation that is a lot smaller than you or a lot larger than you. I think we can add value to big corporates just as we can to small business. And if you're somewhere in the middle, you can go up or down. So, so always think about how you can add value in a collaboration. And there's um, Kelly Preston and John Travolta down there in the corner. So just some of my takeaway tips that I... Um, probably uh, common sense, but um, prepare well. It's not something that I did well, um, but I try now to really be prepared in in what I'm doing and how I'm approaching my business. And like I said before, with a creative mind, you can veer off and have a lot of things going on at the same time, but if you try and focus on one category or one product or one service or one sector or one geographic region at a time, whatever it is. Once you've mastered that, you can replicate that and you can grow. Collaborations, as I said, big believer in collaborating, but try and look at it from the viewpoint of what value can you add to the other party, not what's in it for me. Taking a step at a time. Sometimes you don't know how you're gonna do it. You don't know how you're gonna get there. And sometimes I still don't know how I'm gonna do things. But say yes and you'll work it out. You only need to see a small distance ahead to keep going. And once you get there, you'll see the next 100 metres, and you just keep going. Be authentic. This is the reason that I did what what I did. They're now 18 and 24. They don't kind of need me as much. They don't need me in the same way. So I'm at a a rescaling stage of my business, but it came from that, that beautiful, authentic core um that I started with all those years ago. Make a difference. This um, Harold Sun page was just a few weeks ago. And I think, you know, I got offered to to do a page by using photographs to, to share what was important in my life. And these sorts of things, you know, it, it really gives you um, something to reflect on. One of the the lady in the photo there, Heather, she was my first staff member. She was with me for 15 odd years and she passed away nearly two years ago with breast cancer. But the difference that having that job was able to make in her life and the difference that you can make by being an employer, even if it's just of one person, even if it's just you're mentoring somebody, you're taking on an intern, which my two beautiful girls uh, over there, um, they approached me, give someone a go. You can make a difference, and you have no idea um, the impact that you can have on somebody else. This is often how it looks to other people. Actually, when I saw this slide, I really laughed. and It it does look ideal, and it can be like that, and some people do have it like that. But I'm a single mum. I've been a sole parent for 12 years. I've raised the children, grew the business, scaled back the business, and growing it again. This is how it really looks. <laughs> that's my second baby, and and that's real. That's that's me in that office where I wrote that multi-million dollar contract, where I jumped up and down. That was him just after a feed, falling asleep. And my staff member said, "Oh, Catherine," yeah. and I, I went, "Yeah, okay." And you can see I'm tired. Uh, I'm tired, but I'm there, and I'm loving it. And this business has given me the flexibility to work around my beautiful boys, to impact other people's lives and to make a small difference because before Aroma Baby, there was no natural baby care and someone might have invented it or they might, might not or it might be different to what I did or they might invent it with a more commercial background whereas mine's more from the heart. So this is how it is for me. This is the reason that I, I built my business and it's the reason that I decided to take a step back This is my product a few weeks ago in Think Sydney Duty Free Store. We're still growing. We're growing again. And I guess my message to you all is whether you're in a job, whether you're in a business, whether you're not sure, dream big, believe in yourself, put your life in pictures, cut out you know pictures and make a vision board or, or use words and, and see how it looks and see how those words Resonate with where you're going in your careers or in your personal lives. Flying solo. This is how it feels. It feels lonely. It depends on interpretation. You're sitting on top of the world, you're all by yourself. I travel by myself, I'm home by myself. I try and talk to the kids like, yeah, 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 mum. I'm doing this great thing tomorrow. I know, but you're always public speaking, mum. But but no, but this one's special. Yeah, 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 mum. Two teenage boys. I tell you what, you know. So it does feel like this a lot. But you can also look at it in the way that I'm on top of the world. I'm looking at this massive opportunity of how I can contribute to society, to people, to parents, um, to business, to employees. And you can look at it in a way of wow, I'm at the top of the world, and I'm sort of starting all over again, but it's amazing, it's exciting, and I kind of feel like a bit of a superwoman with that cape on, and that's how you have to be. This is how it can be. You you find your supporters, you find your tribe. There's a couple of them in the audience here. We've become friends. This was in China. This was the government trip we did earlier in the year, and... That was the most amazing trip that I've ever done to China and I've done lots because we were we were together and we supported each other and I learned from them and they learned from me and this is my favourite photo of the whole trip. Thank you so much. There's my contact details.
0: And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo and your host, Robert Gerrish. We'd love to receive
1: feedback, even a brief review for those listening via iTunes.